Welcome to Saga Thing, where we're putting the sagas of the Icelanders on trial. I'm John. And I'm Andy. In each episode, we review a saga, offering a brief summary, followed by our judgments and final ratings. When was the last time we recorded an episode on a regular family saga? I know it was Henthoyer, damn his name forever, <laughs> but it's been a while, hasn't it? It has, actually. Uh, we've had a few other things going on. Uh, mm-hmm. A special episode on Ragnar's saga, yeah. a mini episode on the Blood Eagle. We've kept busy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I agree, it's high time we covered a regular, plain old saga. Absolutely. Well, I've got some bad news for you then. <laughs> Our subject this week may be a traditional family saga, but it's hardly a run-of-the-mill normal one. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. Now, uh, why don't you hit the button and let our friends know what we've got in store for them this time around. All right. In this episode, we follow the career of a young Icelandic merchant named Odd, who sets out on his own at the age of 12 with nothing but some fishing net and a dream. His father, Ofeg, thought he was good for nothing, but Odd soon builds a financial empire that's the envy of all of Iceland. As a leading man whose wealth far surpasses all of those around him, Odd quickly attracts the unwanted attention of the region's established chieftains. They don't take kindly to his newfound influence in their region, and they'll seize any opportunity to knock him down a peg or two. It's a classic tale of old money versus new. Does Odd have the sense to navigate the dangerous waters of Iceland's complex legal system, or will he bite off more than he can chew? And will he ever get the love and attention he so desperately craves from his father? Find out as Saga Thing takes on Bondamana Saga, the Saga of the Confederates. I missed those. I didn't. (laughs) We need to work on your capacity for joy. Well, I'm hardly known for my sanguine personality, John. Well, despite your humbug attitude, I'm delighted to report that Bandamana Saga comes in at 11,295 words, or 1.24 Robinkill Sagas. <laughs> Doesn't that make you happy? Well, it got a chuckle out of me, but... It, so you're <laughs> delighted to report something counted in Hrofenkels, and you think that I've got problems. Touche. <laughs> exactly. Okay, uh, I want to start by saying that I've been looking forward to this episode for a while. Have you? Uh, yeah, oh yeah, Bondamana is a personal favorite, uh, even if it's not a typical saga narrative. It's really not, though it's a good bit longer than a fatter. It kind of reads like one. What do you mean? Well, I'm not saying that I don't like Bondamana saga. Far from it, actually. But it's a little unusual for its rather narrow focus. I mean, family sagas are known for their chronological breadth, their complex and intermingling genealogies, and even their violent feuds. Mm-hmm. The action of this saga really spans only a few years. It's got fewer characters than Henthor saga, and even less bloodshed. I mean, if it weren't for the last <laughs> chapter, the already low body count would be downright embarrassing. Okay, I grant you, if that's all you're looking for here, you will be sorely disappointed. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, this saga still has a lot to offer. It yeah. combines a biting social satire with witty exchanges and legal cross-plotting. There is a conspicuous lack of blood and guts, I grant you. But otherwise, it's got everything I want in a good saga. Well, you're in good company then, John. Our old friend Jonas Christensen seems pretty pleased with Bandamana Saga. Oh. He says, it is exceptional because we have a little man, a farmer of small means, pitting himself against the greatest chieftains in the country and winning. Mm. Now, of course, he follows that up with Bandamana Saga is usually regarded as a virtually complete fiction. (laughs) He's kind of a cynic, isn't he? Well, his point is that the saga reflects the author's attitude to the chieftains of his own time or the recent past, the age which saw the final decay and dissolution of the Commonwealth. So the author isn't so much a cynic as a realist in a degraded time. Yeah, that pretty much covers it. I guess that's why I like him so much. We're kindred souls. Oh, give me a break. (laughs) But this is what I mean about Christensen. He really doesn't say anything I can object to, but he often leaves me feeling like the saga's gotten short shrift. For one thing, 
he doesn't acknowledge that Bondamana is frequently funny as hell. Yeah, that's right. There aren't a lot of contenders for best bloodshed or even best nickname in the saga, but the one-liners, they're fast and furious. I mean, we've got full-on fluting in this one. Yeah, now there are people who do appreciate the humor and characterizations in this saga. Absolutely. Theodore M. Anderson actually highlights the saga's comic nature when comparing it to uh, Henthor's saga. Does he? Yeah. What a happy coincidence, right? That's... <laughs> <laughs> what are the odds? What does he say? Um, well, he's got a whole section in his Growth of the Medieval Icelandic Saga comparing Henthor and Bondamana, mm-hmm. noting that they're both stories about merchants whose economic prosperity leads to conflict with the established powers of Iceland. Which, of course, now, explains exactly why we've done them in this order. Exactly. Pre-planning does everything mm-hmm. for you months in advance. <laughs> now, on the subject of humor, he writes, Whereas Henthor's saga may be understood as a serious critique of chieftainly conduct, Bondamana's saga is generally appreciated as a comedy. Or an outright lampoon of the chieftain's class. Yeah, no, that's a great comparison, actually. Yeah. It's probably why we put them together like we did. Yeah, that's what we were thinking. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, Halvard Magroy uh, also enjoys the comedic aspects of Bond. Wh- what's the guy's name? Magroy. Is he uh, Halvard Magroy? Is he from Hogwarts? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think he's the uh, defense against the... I don't know what the hell. I, I'm not, I don't know enough to say to make a Harry defense Potter against joke. the saga. Arts I can't class. make I can't make a Harry Potter joke. I don't have this. I don't have the knowledge. Oh well. So uh, let's just uh, Halvard Mogroy, What does he have to say? <laughs> <laughs> you completely derailed me now. So uh, you just keep going. <laughs> uh, Magroy says uh, a sense of humor and a comic spirit provide the keynote to this saga. Mm-hmm. Now he even compares Ofix Skithison, who's the heroic figure of aged wisdom in the saga. Uh, he compares him to Eil Skallagrimson, Ingemon the Old, and Njal Thorgerson. Wow, all future thingmen of mine. <laughs> <laughs> Those are some big words, though. I'm no kidding, but his point is valid. Uh, as he notes, saga writers seem to have a soft spot for clever old men, and Ofig really plays up his age as part of his schemes. Yeah, that's true. Uh, now, for our listeners who haven't read the saga yet, or for those who are planning on going back to it, pay attention to when Ulfeg carries himself like a decrepit, stumbling old man, and when he's sure-footed and straight-backed. I mean, his whole persona is a put-on designed to keep people underestimating him. Mm-hmm. But we should dig into this thing now, shouldn't we? Okay, sure, sure, sure. Uh, so at the heart of this saga is a father and son who just don't understand one another. Is that right? <laughs> Indeed! Yeah. Would you care for what? me to elaborate on that topic? <laughs> Much like other fathers and sons in history. Yes. Like Darth and Luke. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never join you. <laughs> oh, dear God. All right. Well, that makes it sound like we're being set up for either a heartwarming resolution or a father-son fight to the death. Well, this is the saga, so you'd assume the latter, wouldn't you? But we'll see how it goes. Uh, the father is Ofig Skithison, and he's known as a shrewd and intelligent man, but not a wealthy man. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's generous to others, though, and he's generally popular. In fact, uh, Ofig's son, Odd, is pretty much the only person in the area who doesn't get along with him. Uh, Ofig thinks his son is lazy, and Odd resents Ofig's cl- coldness to him. Now, to be fair to Odd, everyone in the district thinks that Odd is a young man of great potential. So maybe Ofig's a little hard on him. Well, sure, sure. And this sort of father-son relationship isn't all that uncommon in the sagas. Yeah, and there are times when it serves as an early indicator of future greatness for the son. Mm-hmm. So Eil, Skala Grimson, Greta Asmunderson, and my own thingman, Arnkel Thorolfsson, all had ah, problems with their fathers. True, true. There's almost a sense that like early rebellion against the house alpha male marks these guys out as special. Okay, but in this case, it seems to be just a personality clash. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, odds also overshadowed a bit by his foster brother, Vali, who's also a promising guy and who gets along better with Ofig. Maybe. But Vali, to me, just seems like he's thrown in there. We don't actually hear anything about what he does or how he gets along with everyone. If ever there was a character that was a plot device in the sagas, it's Vali. Oh, I disagree, but we'll <laughs> see more of him later. Sure. Uh, whatever the problem is between them, Odd finally decides to strike out on his own. I say finally. It's after his 12th birthday. Uh, he steals a bunch of fishing tackle from his father's house and moves to a f- fishing village in Vatnes. No, that's not really fair to Odd. What isn't? Well, Odd asks his father for funds to get started on a business venture, and his father rejects him. He says something like, I'll give you no less than you've earned, and you won't get far on that. So which that's really a sounds to, like a father. That's, that's, a, that's a reason to steal from his father? <laughs> that, that, I mean, next time I go to the bank and they don't give me a mortgage, how should I? <laughs> Do I just break into the vault? Can I remind you that Ofig is not a wealthy man? Well, a little compassion doesn't cost anything. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, in any case, Odd succeeds as a fisherman, and then through a series of other business ventures. Inside of a decade, he's a successful merchant, the owner of two ships, and a rising man in the area. Yeah. See, his path is oddly similar to Henthor's. It is. Uh, they're both merchants who start out with nothing and rise to power through their shrewd business sense. So, right. as far as that right. goes, yes. But Odd is actually well-liked and a right. reasonably good person, mm-hmm. if maybe a little naive. Anyway, like Henthor, his next venture is to become a landowner and a farmer. He buys up some land in the same region where his father lives and makes money hand over fist. The saga tells us that he's richer at this point than the next three men in Iceland put together. Now, he's so prominent that his neighbors push him to establish his own Goldorth, which he does. So he's got a lot going on now. Right, and this is a little unusual. I mean, the saga is set in the 11th century. This is actually one of the latest sagas in terms of its setting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the saga author claims... At that time, it was common for people to set up their own chieftaincies. Right. Now, that's at best debatable. Uh, but it does it does show up a lot in the scholarship. I mean, when you're looking at Bondamana mm-hmm. Saga, um, especially in the more historical narratives, that this is why they bring it up to talk about right. the establishment of chieftains or the purchasing of chieftaincies. Right now, yeah, purchasing is different. Right, mm-hmm. that's that's something that I think historically we can we can look at a little bit more uh, uh, kindly, but. Setting up your own in the 11th century seems like it would be a very complicated process. And they make it sound here as if it's sort of an obvious thing to do as you become wealthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, uh, so Odd's also almost impossibly fortunate in his business ventures. Well, he's certainly good at what he does. And unlike Henthor, everyone in the area respects him, right? Well, At least everyone except for his father. Right. <laughs> <laughs> now, even though they live near one another now, Odd and Ofeg just haven't reconciled their relationship yet. Mm-hmm. And in fact, they, they act like now, they're not even related. Now, at this point, we're introduced to a man named Ospak, the son of one of Odd's neighbors. And some of our listeners might remember Ospak the outlaw from Erbidja Saga. Ah, yes. The guy with the army of outlaws who was defeated by Snorri Gothi. Right. My thing, man. Uh, <laughs> this is that Ospak's grandson. Uh, and if that weren't enough, he's also the nephew of the famous outlaw Gretter as Munderson through his mother. Yeah. That's going to be an interesting family reunion, by the way. <laughs> well, it's reputation, right? Mm-hmm. It precedes him. It's pretty clear that this Ospak is going to be trouble, or right. at least that's what you're going to think. But what's weird is that he actually seems to get along with Odd quite well. Right. I mean, Odd acknowledges that Ospak's got a bad reputation. Mm-hmm. But Odd may have a soft spot for someone like Ospak. Since he's been so vilified by his own father, he's hmm. aware of this whole reputation issue and mm-hmm. look at the man, not uh, the reputation, maybe. In any case, he lets Ospak join his household on a trial basis and rapidly becomes impressed with Ospak's loyalty and work ethic. 
And everything just keeps coming up roses for Odd, doesn't it? Well, so far. But, unfortunately, there's usually a reason for a bad reputation in the sagas. Yeah. Uh, these are small communities of people, and everyone sort of gets to know one another. Ospak's regarded as a chip off the evil old block, and we're about to see why. Right. So, Odd gets a little bit restless, and he decides to go off trading again. Now, he tries to get his foster brother, Vali, to run the farm for him, but Vali wants to go sailing with Odd, so he turns to Ospak. Ospak pretends that he's reluctant to take this job on, but he's actually quite eager to take control of the farm, and they eventually agree on it. So, at this point, we have to assume that Odd is either a saint or a fool. Well, maybe. Or maybe a little bit of both. But Ospak has been loyal so far, and things go pretty mm -hmm. well at first. Ospak turns out first. to be... At first, right. Ospak turns out to be a little bit more than competent running the farm, and he even goes to the All-Thing in Odd's place, and does so well there that people start to change their minds about him. Right, but of course, Ospak is getting a pretty high opinion of himself by now, and he soon proposes marriage to a landowning woman named Smala. Mm -hmm. Her relative, Thorarin the Gothi of Langadal, discourages the marriage, but Ospak marries her anyway, because he's that kind of guy. Well, at least he asked first. I suppose we can give him that. Yeah. Now, as time passes, Ospak's essential personality begins to shine through. And by essential personality, I mean he's a terrible human being. Um... <laughs> The people under his control begin to resent him for wait, being overbearing. He He's a little bit pushy. That's about, that's well, about all. They know what's coming. <laughs> I just, you think you're overstating the case a little bit here. Oh, no. I He's think not hurt anyone. What, 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 since when did you become Ospak's defense attorney? I'm just trying to give him his, his day. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <God>. Go ahead. <laughs> I don't know where we're going with this. <laughs> I don't know. I'm confused now. Um, when Odd returns from his successful trading voyage, Ospak begins to come up with excuses to avoid officially returning the Gothorth to him. Now, the issue here is that there has to be some formal transfer of authority. And now, mm -hmm. obviously, Odd is the owner of the property and the title, but he's left both in Ospak's hands, and there has to be a witness of the return of the authority. Yeah, it seems a little strange uh, to a modern reader. Everyone knows that Ospak is merely serving as locum for Odd. But this sort of thing is entirely in keeping with the saga penchant for legal niceties. Wait, the saga what? Penchant. Penchant? What would you say? We, penchant? I would say, pen, say penchant. Ugh, for God's sake. All right. Well, anyway. Really? Really? <laughs> well, as you know, John, medieval Icelanders were sticklers for legal procedure, which plays a major role in the events to come. For now, without that witness transfer, Auspec maintains control of the Goldorth. Right, and Odd puts up with this for a little while. But it becomes clear that Auspec doesn't plan to return the Goldorth to him anytime soon. So he solves the problem in his own inimitable way. One morning, he jumps over the breakfast table at Ospak and holds an axe to his neck. Was it a breakfast table? I'm assuming. It's definitely a table. Okay. Well, this is a great scene and one of the first laughs in the saga, at least for me. I love the way Ospak responds with affronted innocence. He says, <laughs> with an axe to his throat, I, I had no idea you were serious about taking it over, and there's no need to pursue the matter with such vigor. <laughs> and then he returns the authority on the spot with a formal handshake. Right, but the saga author notes that at this point, no lo love was lost between them. Right. Ospak does hang around for a while, still working on the farm, but he's given less and less to do. Odd really wants nothing to do with Ospak anymore, and he barely mm -hmm. notices when Ospak decides to leave the farm and move to his wife's land. So everything's back to normal. The end. Yeah, not exactly. <laughs> Odd's good luck as a farmer suddenly turns bad. You see, his sheep mm -hmm. are vanishing from the fields, and he has no luck finding them. It's a job that Ospak actually used to do for him, and he did it quite well. 
Did anyone check Ospak's farm for the missing yeah. sheep? <laughs> well, easier said than done. But Odd is pretty sure that Ospak's the thief. Mm-hmm. His foster brother, Vali, offers to find out what happened. And by offering his goods for sale, he spends some time at Ospak's farm. Now, Ospak asks some leading questions about Odd's bad luck. Mm-hmm. And Vali indirectly accuses Ospak of stealing the sheep. Of course, Ospak denies it. But Vali can see that Ospak's living more wealthily than he could honestly manage. More wealthily? <laughs> yeah, it's an adverb. Sure. Uh, like you mentioned before, Vali's interesting, uh, but I read him a little differently. Really? Yeah, he's the rarest of people in the sagas. He's a true peacemaker. Okay, John, now you're going too far. No, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. He first offers to help cover for Ospak by trading with him, uh, trading in quotation marks, so that people will think that Ospak's newfound wealth came from ripping Vali off. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when Ospak refuses that, Vali tries to avoid telling Odd what he found out. Okay, but I, I, that does happen. But I think you give Vali too much credit as a relevant figure in this saga. He's just there to move the plot along, to provide some contrast to the other characters, and to act as a sounding board, and to get killed so that everyone has something to do. <laughs> we haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> okay, so here's how it goes down. Odd <laughs> figures out what Vali's hiding. And on the next summoning day, the two of them ride back to Ospak's farm with a party of 20 men. Vali convinces Odd to hold back while he rides the household for some reason. Ospak's waiting for an assault to come, though. Mm-hmm. And when Vali enters the dark house, Ospak leaps from behind the door and fatally wounds him with an axe in the back. Right. Now, Ospak does say that he'd meant the blow for Odd and that he regrets that Vali took the hit instead. Oh, how tender-hearted he is. Yeah, it's not much consolation to Vali's widow, I imagine. Vali's widow. So now he's got a widow. Yeah. <laughs> you really do read a lot into his character, don't you? Why not? I like what he represents. I mean, picture it. There's Vali dying on the floor with an axe in his back, and he's still trying to prevent bloodshed. What a hero. He, he tells Ospak with his last breath to run away before Odd finds out what he's done. That's actually good advice, especially for an author who's not interested in feuding. Yeah, it is, and Ospak takes the advice. Uh, but of course, since Ospak flees without acknowledging what he's done, he's guilty of murder. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, his wife, Svala, lies to Odd and tells him that everything's been settled amicably and he should go home. And he does. Now, I have to ask at this point, is Odd just a simple-minded guy? I mean, <laughs> wouldn't you think he'd want some news from Vali himself? Or at least wait for his foster brother to come home with him, something uh, like that. Yeah, no, that's fair. Uh, he's a trusting soul, I think is the kindest way you can say it. Uh, I'd actually argue that his inability to suspect the worst of people is sort of his Achilles heel. Yeah, that or he's uh, a colossal simpleton. His father, his father Ofeg, on the other hand, is really cynical about people. Mm -hmm. And in this saga, that's definitely the smarter attitude to take. Yeah, yeah, we'll get to that. Uh, For now, Odd prepares a case against Ospak, and at that year's all thing, the case is going very successfully. Mm -hmm. Uh, But two chieftains, uh, Sturmir and Thorarin, derail his case on a minor legal technicality. Yeah, this is the same Thorarin who's related to Ospak's wife Svala, but it's actually Sturmir who instigates the action against Odd. Right, which is particularly troubling since Sturmir is Ofig's Gothi. Ofig is definitely aware of Sturmir's failings as a Gothi, but this kind of greed and underhandedness is exactly what the saga author is interested in exploring. Mm-hmm. Sturmir sees an opportunity to knock the upstart Odd down a peg by embarrassing him publicly, and Thorin goes along with it, though he's hesitant. Now, this is really a great example of something we've been seeing over and over it's the game of honor, and it's always being played in the sagas. Yeah, and I, I think that this particular saga really plays up the difference between the game of honor and the actual abstract concept of honor. 
Aren't you right. smart? Listen well, here, to that. Here we have a just case being ruined by two powerful chieftains because of a tactical advantage they see for themselves in the game of honor, uh, which suggests that for this author, public reputation and honor have very little to do with each other. Yeah. And just to be clear, the technicality is that Odd, uh, one of his witnesses had died before he came to court, and he just replaced him um, kind of haphazardly. And so that's that's what they get him on. Now, Odd mm-hmm. seems confused by what's happened when this uh, failing is exposed. And so he just leaves the court without bothering to finish the case. Uh, but <laughs> can you imagine him moping home? Right. <laughs> oh, well. Oh, well. Sorry, guys. Sort of, if you could picture sort of Eeyore as a chieftain. Yeah, or I picture like the, uh, the, the Peanuts characters, like Charlie Brown with his head <laughs> down, kind of moping home. Anyway, on his back, on his way back to his booth, he does run into someone. It's his father, Ofeg. Now, the two of them still can't stand each other, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and yeah, and Ofe gets some nasty lines in at his son's expense. And this is where Bandamana really isn't quite like any other saga. Ofeg's commentary on the events is funny, but it's also sharply observed social satire. Now, for example, when he tells, uh, for example, when his son tells him the case against Osbak has failed, Ofeg replies, how can there be a defense in a case brought by such a rich man? <laughs> I love Ofeg. I think he might yeah. be more cynical than I am. Yeah, but no matter what his feelings are, Ofeg doesn't like seeing his son hung out to dry like this. Mm-hmm. And so he learns the details of the case, gets a purse full of money from Odd, and rushes back to the court. Yeah, and we'll talk more about this later, but it's uh, it's worth noting that Ofeg is an old man who pretends to be much older and more frail than he is. It's, it's all part of his manipulation of others. And this first appearance in court is like a masterclass in manipulation. Ofeg lectures the jury on the noble intent of their juridical oaths while simultaneously dangling a sack of silver from under his cloak. He then offers each of the jurors a bribe of good silver with an extra half mark going to whichever of them sums up the case properly. Well, yeah, and even then, he's couching the whole thing in terms of helping these men to uphold their oaths. Yeah. Uh, In fact, we're told that the men accept his reasoning in order to justify their corruption to one another. They marvel that they were so close to breaking their oaths by allowing the case to be settled unjustly, while pocketing the silver, of course. Right. Uh, they call Odd back, allow the case to go forward, and Osbak is given a sentence of outlawry for the killing of Vali. So that's the end of the story. Osbak is outlawed. The end. No, not yet. Uh, Sturmir and Thorarin decide to make Odd pay for outmaneuvering them. So they recruit a who's who of chieftains to join in an all-star lawsuit against Odd, for corrupting a jury. This is where the saga really kicks into high mm-hmm. gear. The Confederacy sure. is made up of eight chieftains from all over Iceland. And the author goes out of his way to make sure that all four regions of the island are represented. Yeah, I mean, this is really kind of a montage moment when you kind of get this list of all the different great chieftains. Should we should we name them all? Yeah, let's save that for now. The eight of them <laughs> okay, make fine. a pact. So much pursue... for my montage moment. <laughs> yeah, montage, a very, very short one. <laughs> The eight of them make a pact to pursue self-judgment against Odd, uh, with the goal that they're either going to outlaw him or they're going to confiscate all of his wealth. Well, but of course, in either one of those cases, they're going to end up taking his wealth. Yeah. As we saw with Robinkill's saga, an outlaw's belongings can easily be snatched up by his enemies. True. And it's clear that their primary motivation is actually getting their hands on Odd's money. Mm-hmm. Knocking him down a peg is just a, a good bonus. Yeah. But Odd isn't terribly worried about the case at first, naive Odd. Since mm-hmm. he doesn't think anything will come of it, which is ridiculous. <laughs> but his father does convince him to prepare for the worst, and he also asks him to give him another big money bag. 
It's nice that those two have gotten over their differences. <laughs> Nothing like a little in-the-family corruption to bring a father and son closer together. Now, of course, part of Ofeg's advice is that Odd should prepare a ship with as much of his property as the ship can carry, and to be ready to sail if things go badly. So Odd isn't even heading to the Althing the following year. Ofeg goes, though. But remember that he's a thingman of Stormir the Gothi, so he's actually traveling with one of the men that's trying to destroy his son. Yeah, the allegiances can get really complicated in these stories. But you'd think one of these guys would have severed their ties to the other after the previous year's lawsuit. You would think so. But it gets worse. Stormir has arranged to meet with the other seven chieftains at various points along the way. So by the time he reaches Thingveller, Ofeg is traveling with all eight of his son's powerful enemies. Well, but of course, that also means that Ofeg has time to study the Confederates and size them up individually. Yeah, and that's pretty much his plan. Mm -hmm. The Confederates believe no one would dare stand up to their united front, and they're kind of right. So instead... <laughs> Ofeg tries to pit them against one another. I love this part. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's really, this is where the author's contempt for the greed and hypocrisy of late era chieftains really just takes center stage in the narrative from here on out. Right. And more generally, we see that no one is above corruption. Mm -hmm. Even Ofeg is more than willing to walk into court and start handing money out to anyone who will do what he wants. That's probably a fair point. And it, it makes the saga even darker if we read it as a judgment against the inherently rotten nature of man. Uh, anyway. Uh, Ofig settles on Eil Skulison as his first mark. Right. Eil Skulison comes from a great family. Now, his father is a well-known poet, mm -hmm. and his great-grandfather is actually the legendary poet-berserker, Eil Skalagrimson. Mm -hmm. But his financial situation is precarious, and Ofig knows it. Yeah. Uh, but being broke doesn't stop Eil from being an arrogant and proud guy. No. Uh, Ofig approaches him with great humility, uh, and Eil deigns to speak to him. <laughs> uh, Ofig insists he's not interested in talking about the case. Instead, they spend some time talking. He compliments Ale for his farm at Borg and for his family connections. Uh, he eventually works the conversation around to Ale's money troubles, but Ale points out that he stands to do quite well uh, out of the lawsuit against Odd. Yeah, this is just the sort of opening that Ulfig's waiting for. Mm -hmm. now, he tells Ale that Odd has liquidated all of his assets and prepared a ship to escape Icelandic judgment and left nothing but the bare land of his homestead of which Ale will probably get something like one-sixteenth as a confederate. In other words, Ale's money problems are not going to be solved so easily. Right, and that's not all. No, no. Now, Ofeg also says that he vaguely remembers Odd saying something about how easy it would be to stop by Ale's farm for a little payback on his way out of Iceland. That is a nice touch, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Ale's obnoxious, uh, but he's no fool. He immediately changes his tune and says he'd be happy to see a few of the confederates humiliated in this case. Yeah. He especially would like to see his neighbor and rival, Hermund Lugesen, ruined. Now, at this point, Ofig obviously has hooked his fish and is just mm -hmm. playing out the string. He lets the fat purse from his son drop below his cloak to get Ale's attention, and then offers it to him as a bribe. No, it's a gift, you mean. Oh, I'm sorry, a gift. You're right, <laughs> a gift. Excuse me. Uh, the price of the gift is that Ale must be willing to play along with Ofig's strategy. And it's a beautifully simple plan. Since the eight Confederates are planning to ask for self-judgment, Ofig offers to put it in Ale's hands to decide the case. Yeah, but the problem is that Ale doesn't want to stand alone against the other chieftains. Uh, he's yeah. under no illusions about how they're going to react to being mm -hmm. double-crossed. Yeah, Ofig's got that covered. Uh, he asks Ale to pick another confederate as a partner for Ofig to recruit. And he says, assume I have the pick of all of them. <laughs> Ofig's just making fun of him now, right? Or, or are we supposed to take this seriously? Is this just satire? Or is it a man who finds it useful to project an air of invincibility? 
Well, I mean, this saga is about the inherent corruptibility of the chieftaincy. So, uh, but in this case, either Ophig has already figured out who Ael's going to pick, or he's just sure that anyone can be corrupted if you figure out their weakness. Well, Ophig is a master of that. Mm-hmm. So when Ael picks Gellir Thorkelson as his preferred partner, Ophig's already got a plan in place. He approaches Gellir as one older man talking to another about marriage prospects for the young folk, and he offers to have his son Odd marry Gellir's daughter Ragnhaid. Once he explains Odd's liquidated assets and Ael's willingness to turn on the Confederacy with Gellir, Gellir's on board. Smoothly done. Mm-hmm. He doesn't even have to bribe anybody this time, huh? Well, he is giving away his son in marriage. Well, it was high time that young man settled down anyway. Oh, and Ofe gives Gellir 200 of uh, silver. Ah. Mm. But that's a dowry, not a bribe, you see, so that's okay. Uh-huh. Uh, well, the important thing is that Gellir is able to accept the bribe, excuse me, the dowry, and justify it to himself. Uh, Ale's more the sort to just go ahead and take a bribe. Yeah, he's refreshingly honest about being dishonest. Sure. But <laughs> Geller still tries to think of himself as a fundamentally honest person, which, of course, just means that he's lying to himself. So, Ofeg is now all set, right? Yeah, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Uh, at court the next day, Ofeg confronts the Confederates and asks the chieftain Hermund for a settlement. When Hermund sneers at him, Ofeg humbly agrees to self-judgment, on the stipulation that this old man be allowed to choose two men from the Confederacy to pronounce the judgment. Incidentally, fans of the sagas may know Hermund Lugason as the brother of Gunlaug Serpent Tongue, who we're going to be seeing in our next episode of Saga Thing. Oh, excellent. That's a good one. Yeah. Uh, Hermund's pretty villainous in Bandamana, uh, more so than he is in his brother's saga. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he and Eil Skulason are rivals, so picking on Hermund to start with, is presumably another part of Ofig's strategy. By playing along with Ofig's scheme, Ael now gets the chance to embarrass his enemy. The entire assembly is now moved to a separate clearing for the self-judgment, and there's a nice moment that comes when everybody's moving, and we're told that the parties of Geller and Ael stick close together. Uh, they're not under any illusions as to how this is going to go. But first, Ofig manages to drag out the selection process by ticking off the chieftains one by one, getting in some solid digs at their public persona. Yeah, now we're going to save uh, the individual zingers there for the witticism section. Uh, but to tell it briefly, Ofeg notes that his own chieftain is a loser, calls mm-hmm. one chieftain an idiot, another a <laughs> lapdog of the Norwegian king, and another an arrogant jerk. <laughs> and finally he arrives, seemingly by accident, at Ale and Geller as his arbiters. Mm-hmm. He, he makes a big deal of noting how bad this selection of Ale and Geller actually is for him. He's always the showman. Yeah. I love this guy. Mm-hmm. And I should note here that he's still playing the role of the bumbling old man, all hunched mm-hmm. over and confused as he goes mm-hmm. through the list. Uh, now, Geller and Ale privately agree to ask for a pittance of a fine. And as the better speaker of the two, Ale gets the job of responding to the criticisms of the other Confederates. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't have to wait too long. When Geller announces a judgment of 13 ounces of poor quality silver... The other chieftains are furious and begin hurling insults. Ale replies in kind, and we've got a full-scale fluting on our hands. Thank goodness. Yes. Ale gets to bandy insults. This is what a fluting is. It's an exchange of insults. Mm-hmm. Although there's really not an exchange here, is there? It's really kind of well, one-sided. Well, there's, there's a exchange, there's a return. <laughs> yeah. Well, it starts with Hermund, and he accuses Hermund of being cheap and living meanly. Next is Sturmir, who also gets called out for his miserly ways. A third confederate named Thorger Haldorison has to put up with being reminded of a beating he once took from a smallholder and the paltry compensation he accepted for it. And then two more chieftains, uh, Skegbrody Bjarnason and Jarn Skeggy Einerson, are smart enough to keep their mouths shut. Right. But there's a sixth chieftain, mm. Thorin the Gothi of Langadal. <laughs> he speaks up 
And, well, well, the saga tells it best. Uh-huh. Then Ael said, Shut up and sit down, Thorar, and don't say a word, or I'll accuse you of such shameful things that it would be better for you to keep silent. I don't find it funny, though. Your servants laugh about it when you sit with your legs tight, rubbing your thighs together. <laughs> <laughs> one of my favorite oh lines my in God. It's unbelievable. All of the <laughs> it's, what I love about that is that it's, it's very specific, and yet it leaves exactly what he's doing up in the air. Right. And you're, whatever you're coming up with is probably worse than what's actually going on. Oh, I've got quite uh, the image in my head. Oh, I know. Uh, and what makes it pure genius is Thorarin's response, the, the chieftain who he's criticizing. Thorarin answered, wisdom is welcome wherever it comes from. And he sat down and kept quiet. <laughs> he probably sat down because you got to get back to his thigh rubbing. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, not surprisingly, Hermund in particular becomes furious. That is surprising. And I would think Thorarin would be the one who would be furious. <laughs> <laughs> it's clear from his comments that he intends to track Ale down later for a reckoning. Mm-hmm. And the gathering ends with a lot of anger on both sides, and the rest of that year's all thing is extremely tense. Right, no violence erupts, though. No, of course not. Not in this <laughs> saga. How many deaths do we have so far? It's just Vali, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, one. Uh, one would assume that this is a setup for a lengthy feud with escalating violence, right? Well, sure, if this were a typical saga. But like we said, the author's got other interests. The The next major event to take place is the wedding of Odd Ophixen and Rognade, the daughter of Geller. Geller receives generous gifts from Odd and Ophig and proves himself to actually be a wise counselor by encouraging Odd to seal his friendship with Ale by giving him more gifts. Uh, we're told that Odd and his new wife get along very well, and they have that rarest of things for a saga couple, a happy ever after ending. Oh, how lovely. It's mm. it's funny to me that Odd continues to need to be told what to do, though. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, he really, the- it's not that he's gotten wiser, he's just learned to accept his elder's advice. I guess so. Which I guess is a kind of wisdom. One would hope, though, that he could do things for himself a little bit, and he just doesn't well, seem to be Well, presumably his wife to- will now be in charge of making the decisions. Yeah. He's good at being a merchant, and that's about it. Mm-hmm. Shortly after the wedding, Hermund and a group of men ride out at the farm assembly, planning to burn ale in his house at Borg. Yay, mm-hmm. another burning! <laughs> <laughs> but of course it's not going to happen. No. That's not the kind of saga this is. A strange twanging sound is heard as they ride, and Hermund feels a stabbing pain in his armpit. Now, he turns back and eventually dies from this wound. Yeah, I've always wondered about that. What happened to him? Uh, are we supposed to think he was shot with something? Uh, Magroy, uh, the scholar we mentioned earlier, thinks this is a moment of supernatural intrusion into the story. I'm not sure I agree. It's, it just seems like so much of the author's effectiveness as a social critic comes from the realism that he maintains throughout the story that I just can't understand why a spectral assassin would suddenly show up in the final act. Well, I'm going to have to disagree with you, John. I mean, you're forgetting what well, Ale said to Hermund during their fluting match of the All Thing. Their argument ended with Ale saying, I hope the trolls take you or something like that. Now, it seems funny and mostly harmless at the time, but this odd moment seems to suggest that the trolls did indeed get Hermund in the end. I've forgotten nothing. How dare you? <laughs> uh, since when are trolls known for their use of long-range weapons? Just in this I, saga. There are, well, <laughs> there are more questions than answers for me here, but in order of likelihood, I'd, I'd posit a natural occurrence, like a stroke or a heart attack first. That's silly. Uh, there was a twanging sound. Well, okay, so I have to explain the twanging sound then. Yeah, everybody uh, heard it. An attack by Ale's men second. I mean, just a regular plain old ambush, which we see all the time in the sagas. Uh, remember what, that... What's this? 
there's no arrow. There's no, there's nothing left there for anyone to see. I'm sorry. So trolls don't use, trolls use invisible arrows. Is that what you're saying? I will allow you the possibility. Do you, are you listening to the, the, the line of logic that you're trying to employ here? Now, you've got the supernatural. And in the supernatural world, your arrows don't have to be physical. Do they? <laughs> and, and you know as well as I do from looking at medieval oh, leech dear. books and things like that, that elves are quite nasty. And they often <laughs> shoot you with some kind of sickness of some kind or other. But you don't see a physical arrow there. Yes, I was just, I was sitting in my apothecary shop in the basement looking at my uh, elf charms, uh, just the other day. Um, but no, I would say, um, if you discount something like a stroke or a heart attack, uh, and you know, the kinds of things, uh, a, a, uh, the kind of medical problems that might result in a person being felled, uh, then we have to consider the attack by Ailes men as a possibility. Uh, remember that they both attend this thing regularly. Ale knows the most likely path to his house from the thing. Why would the saga author not mention that? Why would the saga author not mention the troll? Because it's uh, the sharpshooting troll. Yeah, the sniper, the troll <laughs> sniper. Is there a grassy knoll anywhere near the spot yes. where Herman is felled? Is what well, I want to know. That one of the is there a second things, troll gunman? The saga does mention that his uh, his head went back and to the left. <laughs> it went back. And to the left. Oh dear. Um, <laughs> All right. Let's let's assume. Let's take it as written that uh, uh, Herman dies, and okay. not worry so much about how. I guess. All right. So we're all done then. Uh, no, 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 not quite. Dead. Not Everyone's quite. happy. Uh, there's still one more loose end to deal with. Oh my goodness. Uh, Osback the outlaw has been missing oh, yes. all this time. If you him. remember him, uh, and his wife Svala has remarried a farmer named Mar Hildeson. Oh, what's she supposed to do? Wait around like Gisley's wife? Exactly. <laughs> she's no odd no well it's finally though an opportunity for bloodshed in this uh-huh. saga Osback is not going to take this sitting down not at all no uh, a series of attacks suddenly occur with uh, nine cows belonging to an enemy of Osback's being slaughtered and then five of Odd Ophixen's horses being killed as well mm-hmm. then Osback enters Mar's house early one morning and fatally stabs Mar while he's sleeping Mar's brother, Bjalfi, who happens to be there, manages to stab a carving knife into Osback as he flees. Osback vanishes again, and the next autumn, some shepherds find Osback's bled-out corpse in a cave. The end. <laughs> what a letdown. I know, it really is, isn't it? <laughs> we expect a, a little bit of more of a dramatic ending, but at least all the threads are tied. We, we, know, we know what happened to everyone in the saga. Right, so we're all done. We're all done. Well, not really. It's not quite the end. We've got our judgments to make. Oh, right. Best Bloodshed. So what do we got for Best Bloodshed? All right. Uh, our first death is Vali, uh, the <laughs> Vali. noble peacemaker. Uh, so what happens is that Vali, uh, this is the foster brother of Odd, uh, enters Ospak's house, essentially trying to uh, warn Ospak yeah. uh, that Odd has come for him. Uh, give him an opportunity to run away, right? Because Vali is always trying to avoid bloodshed. Yeah. It says when uh, he approaches the the house that there's nobody around. It's very odd looking. Right. Uh, situation. Well, and of course, it is, uh, it's the summoning days. Yeah. Right. It's the specific time when you would expect people to show up if you know somebody's going to level a suit against mm-hmm. you. Uh, and but, so uh, it's the kind of situation where you're really being set up. And frankly, walking through the front door of the house. Yeah. 
Probably not Especially, Molly's smartest I think move. It, if I remember the description, it's something like the, the door is, is cracked ajar or whatever, and you, it's dark inside. Why yeah, would this, you go through that door? Yeah, Volley rode up to the house. There was nobody outside, but the door was open, so Volley went in. The house was dark. <laughs> Without any warning, someone leapt from the benches and struck Volley between the shoulders so that he fell at once. It was Osback. Of course it uh, was. Yeah, so there, there you go. I mean, this is, it's, uh, it's just a tragic case of mistaken identity. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, not not the smartest move to walk into the house, the dark house of a man who you've come to summon. No. And not even that great of bloodshed, to be honest with you. No, I know. It's true, but there there just aren't a lot of deaths in this saga. I mean, no. There's a lot of cutting remarks, but I'm not sure we can count those. No. <laughs> so we're, we're really kind of scraping the barrel here as far as actual corpses. Right. So I'm going to throw in uh, Hermund being attacked by trolls. And uh, okay. I'll just, I'll just <laughs> share this one. If, in fact, that's what happens to him. Well, that's what I think happened to him. It says, uh, that same autumn, Hermund gathered his forces and went out to the farm assembly, intending to go on to Borg and burn ale in his house. When they came level with Valfell, they heard a sound like a bowstring twanging up on the hillside. And at that same moment, Hermund felt a sickness and a stabbing pain in his armpit. So they had to turn back from their expedition. Notice I, there's nothing there about an arrow, John. Nor is there anything there about a troll. Well, the trolls live in, in the uh, in the rocks and in the hillsides. Oh, let's just... I'm assuming that there's a book depository somewhere. Uh, <laughs> <that> <laughs> anyway, Hermund's sickness increased, and when they had come by Thorgothstadr, they had to lift him from his horse. They sent to Sidmuli for a priest, but when he came, Hermund could not speak, so the priest stayed by him. One time when the priest spent... Oh, we don't have that stuff about the lost treasure, so we won't leave that. So, yeah, yeah. And then the priest... Hermund could not speak, so the priest stayed by him, and shortly after that, he breathed his last... And his life ended just as reported here. Poor Hermund. Killed yeah, by I mean, trolls a, or something. It's <laughs> or something. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean that's not a bad one. Um uh, I'm less convinced than you are by the supernatural argument. But we do have one more option, and that's Osback himself. Mm-hmm. Uh this is the the outlaw who causes all the trouble in the saga. Yeah. He at least gets uh, something done. Right. Well, and of course, um, he uh, does manage to commit a murder of his own, two murders, in fact, mm-hmm. uh, before he dies himself. But he's actually just wounded by Mar's brother, Bialfi. Yeah, it's almost like uh, uh, Bialfi's lunging for him as he's leaving. He just jams the knife in his side, right? Something like that. Right, right. Just sort of leaves the knife in his side. Um, and then the saga tells us, now for a long time, nothing was heard of Osback. Then in the autumn, when some men went to round up Weathers... They found a cave and some crags, and in it a dead man. Beside him stood a basin full of blood, and it was as black as pitch. It was Osback, and people reckoned that the wound Bialfi dealt him must have weakened him, so that he then died for lack of food and help. Sounds like he died from opening his wound and draining it into the bowl. Well, I, I, you know, here's the reason that I like this one, Mm -hmm. because of the staging of it. Uh, That this isn't just a death. This is a guy who managed to drag himself off to a cave somewhere where he then went through the trouble of creating this sort of creepy tableau uh, with a bowl full of black blood next to him as he lay there dying. Mm-hmm. So I, I appreciate his eye for staging, even in his de- last moments. <laughs> uh, All right. So uh, of those three, what are we going to choose here? Well, I think we can eliminate Vali. I mean, yeah. he, he dies from a combination of mistaken identity and his own stupidity. Yeah. 
I think uh, in terms of best bloodshed, since bloodshed is in the term, uh, Herman doesn't have any blood. Right. It seems right. to be something internal, which again leads me to think of the supernatural and the medieval Or indeed a heart attack. Exactly, but supernatural, the idea that uh, elves right. or trolls got him. But uh, again, not not bloodshed. It's interesting. It's mysterious. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's actually blood with Osback. Right, um, and it is. I mean, you imagine that it's the – I think the saga author misses an opportunity here. It is sort of a creepy situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can imagine the uh, the shepherds sort of entering the cave to find out what's in there and finding a bled-out dead man with a big basin full of blood next to him. Exactly. All right, so let's give it to Osback. All right, Osback's death it is. All right. Body, Body count. count. <laughs> so there's uh, depressingly few people killed in this saga. Um, I've got That's my kind tally- of a dark statement, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> it just shows my taste, doesn't it? Oh well. Um, I've got a total of five people. Five? Five? Yeah. What do you got? Uh-oh. I've got four. Four. Interesting. All right, I'll give you mine. I've got mm-hmm. Vali. Killed by mm-hmm. uh, Ospak. Mm-hmm. I've got uh, a member of the panel who was supposed to be a witness for um, mm-hmm. Odd's uh, court. Yeah. And then I've got um, Hermund and the trolls. Mm-hmm. I've got Mar killed by Ospak. And I've got, of course, Ospak dying. That's five people. Right. Uh, okay. I've got four. I'm not counting that dead juror. Why is uh, that? Because we're not told that there's anything suspicious about his death. Mm-hmm. He merely dies between when he's named to the jury and the date of the trial. Okay. Uh, there's no particular... I mean, for all we know, he could just be elderly. That's true. All um, right. You know, he sort of dies, but that's all we know. It's, it's only important because his death leads Odd to make a mistake. I guess so. So, uh, I guess I was just so desperate for uh, another death that I, <laughs> I wanted to count that one. But you're you right. You wanted to get to a, a good round five? Yeah, if we're following uh, our rules, he's, he's definitely mentioned that he died, but I don't think we have right. enough information to, to count him. Why don't we, uh, if we want to bump the number up, why don't we count the nine cows and five horses that Ospec killed? That gives no, us well, a good Why don't we just count all the mosquitoes extra. they swat during the all thing? While we're well, at. again, keeping with our rules, if he doesn't mention it in the saga, <laughs> we can't count it, John. <laughs> Um, well, I seem to recall from the past that we've we've uh, not counted animals, even when they're in fact foster sons of major characters. Uh, so I'm going to have to say that we can't count the animals, although it's worth noting that a large number of cows and horses get slaughtered <laughs> as part well, of Ospak's reign of terror. Yeah. So yes, assuming that we're not counting any livestock that uh, Ospak takes out, we're dealing with a grand total, a new low for our saga thing. Of four for the body count. And 14 animals. (laughs) (laughs) Nicknames. All right. So um, we've got a short list of nicknames this time. We have a lot of well-known figures, but they just seem to have collected all the guys who don't have nicknames. Or at least whose nicknames aren't uh, discussed in this saga. It's one of those things that makes it such an unusual saga. It really is. Where are our nicknames? So we've got three altogether that we thought were worth mentioning. Isn't that uh, sad? The first, uh, Thararin, uh, the Gothi, is called the Wise. Wow. In Spocky. Um, it's not clear that he necessarily earns his nickname in the saga, but it's not meant ironically. Uh, no. Like all the other chieftains in the Confederacy, he's being mocked in this story, but his reputation elsewhere is actually pretty positive. I wonder if it's just early on in the saga when that name pops up, the uh, saga author was still, he was still convinced that he was going to write a saga. And then later on, he's like, ah, oh, screw it. <laughs> nah. We'll bother. Nicknames, whatever. Next one is uh, Skeg Brody Bjarnason, mm-hmm. uh, or Beard Brody. Uh, it's not a tremendously unusual nickname, but as always, I like to point out a well-bearded man. 
<laughs> and then um, a reference in this saga to uh, Gretter Asmunderson's father, Asmund Greylocks. Yeah. Uh, so known for, presumably, his gray locks. Right. Well, uh, that's it. That's what that we got. Riveting. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who to give it to, though, because none of them are terribly interesting. I guess Greylocks is the most interesting one. Um, um, I'm but- gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna nominate, uh, Thorarin because I think whether or not it's meant ironically, it reads ironically, particularly mm. once you learn that his, the most famous thing he's known for is rubbing his thighs together comically while his servants laugh behind his back. Okay. But let me, uh, let me suggest that we choose Skeg Brody because we are men who like a good beard. Have we nominated, have we given the award to anyone with a good beard yet? Mm, I honestly don't remember, but uh, I'm inclined to give Skeg Brody this one. Uh, all right. What the heck? Why not? <laughs> all right, then. Skeg Brody. Sure. Come up and get your award. Notable, Notable witticisms. witticisms. Notable witticisms. Now, this is what this saga is known for. It might not be known for Best Bloodshed, but we've got a lot of witticisms. Uh, we tried to pare it down and choose a couple of our favorites. The first one that I'm going to introduce is from Ausback. It's mm-hmm. when uh, Valdi comes to visit him and they're suspecting Ospec of having stolen some sheep. And uh, Valdi comes right out with it and says, you know, people are talking and we kind of think that you're the one that did it. Ospec replies, I don't know what my enemies can be saying if this is how my friends are talking. <laughs> Which is just witty. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't have a lot to say about it, but it's just witty. I like the phrasing yeah, and it's of it. Ni- it's always nice when a villain is given a decent line. Yeah. You know, because so often they aren't. Yeah. Um, what do you got? What's your first? My first one is uh, from Ofig and Odd uh, running into each other at uh, the All Thing right after Odd's case is thrown out on a technicality. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Ofig sort of feigns shock that this could have happened and originally says, well, I thought the charge ought to stick. Or or did he not kill Vali? <laughs> uh, and when his son's, well, they, of course he did. It's just that a defense was found in the case and it collapsed. Yeah, and Ofig's basically baiting his son, right? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Because Ofig already has heard. Yeah. Uh how can there be a defense in a case brought by such a rich man? Uh, now, now, why do you just, use that as a witticism? Well, because it's, it's one, it's our first sort of indication as to where the real heart of this saga lies. Mm-hmm. Right? It lies in pointing up this relationship between wealth and justice right. uh, in in uh, late, Iceland, late uh, medieval Iceland. Uh, but it's also Ofig just getting in a shot at his son. Remember, Ofig is not a wealthy man. No. Uh, but getting in a shot at his son for thinking that being wealthy was enough and that he right. was sort of swan true, yeah. in the court and do whatever he wanted. Right. Uh, and that he's come, come to grief because being known as a wealthy man doesn't buy you justice. Interesting. So what do you got next? Well, in that same scene, I really mm-hmm. like, um, Ofig as he's kind of interrogating Odd. He's saying, well, what exactly happened? What, uh, what did you do? Uh, once the case was kind of exposed, um, for that technicality, what did you do? And Odd says something to the effect of, well, I just, I just left. <laughs> and, uh, that's not the, the witticism. It's, it's Ofeg's response, which is, the only useful step you made was taken in ignorance. <laughs> which, as a, uh, you know, I, I fortunately have a nice relationship with my father, but as a kid who, uh, maybe <laughs> didn't have the best relationship with his father, it's just yet again that dagger in the back uh-huh. from your dad. Uh-huh. I mean, even as Ofeg sort of steps in to save him, he's gotta keep needling him. Yeah, you useless. Useless child. <laughs> but thank God you're ignorant or we might be in real trouble. Yeah. Yeah. If you weren't so stupid, we might be. <laughs> um, and I'm going to, I'm going to stick with Ofig, uh, for our next line. 
this is after Ophig has gone around. This is at the uh, the final summary of the self-judgment mm-hmm. uh, when he's facing the eight chieftains. And he's gone around one by one and said, no, I'm not going to use you. I'm not going to use you. One of my favorites in there is that uh, as he's talking to Beard Brody Bjarnason, uh, Ophig says, there you sit, Beard Brody. Is it true that when you were with King Harald Sigurdsson, he said that of all the men in Iceland, he thought you best fitted to be king? Brody answered, The king often spoke graciously to me, but it's not certain that he meant everything he said. Well, you can king it over other things in this lawsuit, said Ofig, and I count you out. That's <laughs> it. I love that line. Uh, but it's one of, it's one of the eight lines that he fires off at the men in quick succession. Mm-hmm. He carries on insulting the chieftains one after the other, and finally, pretends that he's accidentally left himself with only ale to choose. Uh, and at that point, he recites a verse and then says, I've ended up the same way as two wolves. They devoured one another and didn't notice it till they got down to the tail. Mm, nice. So yeah. what, do you, what do you think that means exactly, John? Well, I think he's saying that he's gotten down to the tail. I believe he's comparing Ale Schoolison to a wolf's ass. <laughs> Is that what you, that's how you read it? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Doesn't it mean that they just, that you've, de- they've devoured each other to the point that there's nothing left? Well, yes. But oh, I think okay. in this context, he's using the line to get in a shot at ale. All right. Well, I know you like to take liberties with this saga. Uh, oh, well. Wow. <laughs> wow. Uh, the one that I'm going to choose next is when ale is speaking to Hermund about the judgment of 13 ounces of bad silver. And Hermund replies, Oh, was that 130 ounces? And uh Ale looks at him and says, Come now, Hermund. You can't have been sitting on your ear when you were standing up. <laughs> it's a good line. All right, uh, going right on to the next one. Uh, so still, as Ale is making his way around the table or around the circle and insulting each man in his turn, uh, Sturmir says, Whoever speaks the worst of you, Ale, is nearest the truth if he calls you underhanded. And Ail's response is to uh, accuse Sturmir of miserliness. And he says, I do all I can and spare no effort, but the moment black-handled axes are raised, you take to your heels. And it's true that I generally have difficulty eating ends meat, but I turn away no one hungry while you are miserly with food. As a token of that, you own a bowl called Food in Plenty, but no visitor to your farm has ever seen what's in it. Only you know. Mm. I like that. I like it too. Um... But let's stop goofing around. I think we both know what, where we're <laughs> And we all here. know where this is going. Yeah. I mean, if you remember, we've got old Thorin. <laughs> Thorin the Wise. Yes, we do. <laughs> now, he, if you remember, he's told to sit down unless he wants Ale to tell everyone how strange he is. And he says, I don't find it funny, though your servants laugh about it. When you sit with your legs tight, rubbing your thighs together. Winky winky. And I think... <laughs> I I just picture Thorin sitting there with this silly grin on his face, just his eyes darting back and forth, wondering if anyone's watching him. (laughs) But I just imagine, because of course, Thorin's response to that is to say, wisdom is welcome wherever it comes from. And then he sits down and keeps quiet. But I imagine that for the rest of this, he's he's standing, sitting conspicuously still. (laughs) (laughs) Hands folded. Making sure that no inadvertent squirming goes on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think uh, I got to give it to Ale for that one. There's there's no no question. There's no question. I I just can't think of a more embarrassing insult to hurl at somebody (laughs) in a public setting like that. Well, just the fact that Thorin basically says, yeah, you're right. Uh, I'll be. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. But he doesn't really have a response. He just, he just, oh, yeah, <laughs> bought me. All right, then. <laughs> That's uh, our winner. Congratulations, Hale. 
Outlawry. Okay, Outlawry. This is going to be a quick one, uh, but an interesting one, I think. In one respect, almost everybody in the saga is up for nomination. Yeah, I guess I mean, that's they're true. They're all corrupt. Even Ofig? They're all and evil. Odd? Ofig is absolutely corrupt. I mean, he simply uses the corruption uh, for what we consider to be just reasons. He sought justice. But he got he's, justice. he's shameless about throwing silver around in the courtroom. Well, what about Odd? He doesn't do anything wrong. Odd may be the one exception. Hmm. Uh, he's he did party steal from his corruption. father. He is party to corruption, but mm-hmm. he's, he doesn't himself commit it. But everybody else in the saga, every other named person in the saga, do you really except, think- of course, for the noble valley. Do you think? Uh, <laughs> right. Do you really think is, Odd knows how his father's behaving at court? He doesn't pay attention. I mean, you assume that he knows that these money bags he's giving his father aren't going to line his father's cloak. I wouldn't assume that Odd knows anything. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, but so, first of all, we have to consider uh, all eight of the chieftains. Right. I would say particularly uh, Hermund, mm-hmm. because not only is he uh, one of the ringleaders. He also then attempts a burning, right? He dies before he gets there, hmm, but he is point. sort of a trying to go and burn Ale out of his home. Right. Sturmir for being a terrible chieftain. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, and then also for being the ringleader, for being the guy who originally sets up this whole right. uh, corrupt band. And, you know, Thorarin for yeah, we'll throw him many in crimes against his chairs. <laughs> uh, yeah, but, I can't. I just can't outlaw him. He's just too funny. In fact, I'd uh, invite him to my court to just sit. Right. Uh, but in fairness, I think you know we could we could talk about the various chieftains, but we're probably going to agree that Osback Glumson has to be outlawed. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, he's the one that goes around killing people. Although the guy did, yeah. uh, he did kill someone who married his wife. So I can understand why he'd be upset about that. Well, remember, he is the only person who we know commits a killing. Mm-hmm. In this saga, he kills two people before he dies himself. Bialfi does kill him eventually. Yeah. Uh, but it's a wounding that occurs while he's in the process of killing somebody else. So shouldn't we give him some credit for at least providing us with some bloodshed in this saga? Well, certainly. Uh, but remember that, that he's also been outlawed in the saga. Right. Right. He's the only member, he's the only person in this saga who actually gets outlawed for his actions. Okay. And well, of course, there's a family tradition to maintain here. That's true. Um, we didn't give it to Osback, the outlaw, back in Erbidja's saga because he was competing with Thorolf Twistfoot. But the Osback family needs to have at least one of these outlaws. Is that what you think? Interesting. I, I'm I'm almost inclined to, to outlaw Hermund uh, simply because he was uh, he was one of the ringleaders, one of the greediest of the uh, of the chieftains. And uh, I hadn't thought of it until you said it, but he wanted to go burn ale. He, the motive was there. This is a classic Philip K. Dick thought crime. Uh, we got to go and get a minority <laughs> yeah. report, right? But motive means an opportunity. Uh-huh. He had the motive. He had the means. But he lacked the opportunity. That's because he was dying. <laughs> um, I don't know. My vote's for, for Hermund, but I think you're going you're gonna to push on Osback, aren't uh, you? My vote's for Osback. We can have a split decision. That's all right. We've had mm-hmm. them before. No, nah, I'll just let it, I'll just let Osback be. He's the one that did the most killing. <laughs> He's the one who did all the killing. <laughs> yeah, you're right. He did all the killing. All right. Osback, see ya. Thing Man. All right. John, remind me where we're at with Thing Man. Who's choosing first here? Oh, I think you know that you're choosing first this time. Oh, do I? <laughs> uh, since I, uh, managed to sneak Thord Yeller out from under you in our last, uh, episode. <laughs> oh, that's right. All right. This one, uh, I gotta say, until I talked to you the other day, I was 100% sure what I was gonna do. Uh-huh. I thought there was only one choice, uh, 
even available in this one. The two I've things. I've got to learn to keep my mouth shut. Yeah, you do. Um, the two people I was considering initially were Odd and Ofeg. Odd, mm-hmm. I only consider him because of who he is at the end of the saga. He's got a lot of money. He's the wealthiest guy around. Mm-hmm. And he's got some good family connections at that point as well. But I just don't feel anything for the guy, and I don't well, trust him. you probably him. have to be worried about, you know, making sure that somebody brings him inside when it rains and that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. He's really dumb. He's really dumb. But he can be my financier, which would be kind of nice. Oh, great. That's who you'd want in charge of the money. Well, he seems to be good with uh, trading things. So. True, but no, true. I'm not going to pick Odd. Now, Ofeg is extremely attractive to me as a as mm-hmm. a, a thing man. He's the little guy. He's the one that outwits the big chieftains. Mm-hmm. Um, he's... Very, very wise. Um, he's trickster. He's everything you kind of want. Um, well, and of course, you know, as we saw in the beginning, you know, scholars compare him to Njal Thorgerson, Ael yeah. Skallagrimson, uh, when it comes to his, his wit and his, um, place in the saga. Yeah. And he's the hero of the saga. There's, there's really no one else to look at and say, mm-hmm. that guy is the one that the saga author is applauding and he's yep. got his back. Um, so I was absolutely going to choose Ofeg. But then when I talked to you, you drew my attention to the other chieftains, the Confederates. Well, it's I had... quite – I mean, we've got really – it's a, quite a laundry list here. We can really, it is. You can go shopping for Thingman in this episode. Well, and I disregarded them naturally because they are the bad guys of the saga. But then, you know, thinking about who they are in other sagas mm-hmm. and what they represent, uh, that's actually worth considering. So I went through and uh and did a little bit of research on on each of them just to remind myself of who they all are in in the mm-hmm. grander scheme of things. Um I think there's three possible choices of those thingmen. You have Ael Skulason. He's an interesting option, but um not that interesting. He's only interesting for me in terms of of what he does in this saga, not for who he is outside of the saga. Mm-hmm. And who he is in this saga is a corrupt individual. And he ends up a little bit wealthier and better mm-hmm. off at the end. He's witty in the... Uh, I mean, what I he mean, has going for him is also the family connections. Right? Yeah. I mean, he's the great-grandson of Ael Skallagrimson. But he didn't a, really do anything right, with that. No, right? no. So he's not terribly impressive. So I'm not going to pick him. Then you have Hermund Ilugason. Mm-hmm. He's the son of Ilugi the Black. He's the brother of Gunlog's serpent tongue. He's got a notable family. He comports himself pretty well and is generally mm-hmm. well-liked. I think in uh, Gunlog Serpent Tongue Saga, uh, they say he's more popular than his brother. Right. He even avenges his brother's death swiftly and thoroughly in admirable fashion. So he's oh, Spoiler a, alert for our next episode, by the sorry way. Sorry about that. He's a great choice, but in this saga, he's not a great choice. He's greedy. Right. He's conniving. He's, mm-hmm. he's also fated for death by a troll. And I... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I want that guy on my team, you know? The, the last person I'm going to consider is Beard Brody Bjarnason. Mm-hmm. He's another one of those characters that we see popping up all over the place. We see him in The Tale of Alehood, which is a great story, and it's very parallel to um, right. to this one. And I think uh, Beard Brody takes the role of of um, of Ale in that story. Mm-hmm. He's also in Ljosvetninga Saga and plays a major role. In both cases, actually, he's a peacemaker. He's one that, that resolves conflict. He's pretty well off. He's very well respected, mm-hmm. and he's also socially savvy. In Bondamana Saga, he doesn't play much of a role at all, really. He's a confederate, mm-hmm. and this is a good thing, but it's also a bad thing. It's bad because he's a confederate who's clearly seizing an opportunity, but, I mean, that's all we really know of him in the saga. He's wise enough not to go toe-to-toe with Ale after the judgment, so we never really get the chance to hear what his more negative qualities might be. Right, so, and the suggestion is from various scholars that 
the inclusion of Beer Brody is just to suggest how pervasive corruption is. Yeah. That even a guy like this, who is generally considered to be an upstanding sort of person, mm-hmm. would get himself involved in something like this. Yeah. So, I mean, as you see, I'm left with a conundrum. If I'm the one that gets to choose first, <laughs> I mean, who do I take? Do I take the clear hero of the saga, Ofeg? He's crafty. He's wise. He gets what mm-hmm. he wants against all odds. He does. But he's also a nobody. I mean, that might be part of his charm. I kind of like that about him. You're a bit and of a snob. I hadn't really thought that about you. No, no, no. Let me explain where I'm coming from here. <laughs> I'm attracted to the idea that he is a nobody, that he's the he's the oh. underdog. I am a, a, a Cleveland sports fan, so I, I know nothing but that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but this is a serious game we're playing in terms of building our Thingman groups. Mm-hmm. And the chieftains on that list are nothing to sneeze at. They're players big players who understand how the game works just like Ofeg, but they've got a little bit more going for them, don't they? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to have to go ahead and choose... Oh, I really want to do the noble thing and take Ofeg, and I haven't completely decided yet, but Beard Brody. Beard Brody Bjarnason. I'm going, uh. I'm going with Beard Brody because... He represents more. He's got the uh, the family. I really need to not talk to you on the phone before we do these episodes. Yeah. And I, I got to say, it is kind of a defensive maneuver. I try mm-hmm. to put myself in your head and think, what is John going to do? Who would he choose? Mm-hmm. And I came up with Beard Brody, and that's kind of why I'm choosing him also. Um, I was a little bit on the fence myself. I think you've got yourself a solid thing man there. Mm-hmm. Um, I probably would have taken Beard Brody if you were available. Uh, but that's mainly because I didn't expect Ofig Skiddison to be available. I assumed you'd be taking <laughs> Is this reverse the, psychology? The witty fellow. Um, I, well, I never thought I'd have the opportunity to walk out of this with Ofig Skiddison. And I will be delighted you should to be. snatch him up with very little, uh, uh I'm not gonna bother wasting our time. Uh, Ofig Skiddison with his, uh, silver bag on a yo-yo, <laughs> bouncing along below the bottom of his cloak. I'm delighted to have him. I'm delighted to have his quick wit, his uh, his son's purse, which apparently he's able to access whenever he wants it. Uh, and I can't believe I'm getting out of here with Ofig. Well, so I am. I am delighted. I look forward be. to him livening up gatherings with my Thingmen, and uh, I think we're gonna have a great time. Well, I think it's a great choice. Uh, I think we're both happy. Uh, <laughs> I really wanted Ofig, but uh, I think. Uh... In the long run, I made the better choice. I think definitely that was the choice. Those two guys were the choice. Yeah. So I think I think both of us came out well on this one. Final, final rating. rating. All right. So I'll go first for a final rating. Uh, this this is a tricky saga to rate. I think uh, it's a in some ways it's unparalleled in the sagas. I mean, yeah. It's, uh, it's really about um, the mental game of Icelandic power more than it is about the physical game of Icelandic power. But unlike almost every other saga, it never really devolves into a brawl. Uh, there's never a point when the sword becomes more powerful than a quick tongue. But at the same time, I think you said earlier in this episode, it's it, at times it almost reads more as a thoughter than as a saga. And I think there's something to that. I mean, it's, uh, it's a very contained story. It's essentially, it's a long form anecdote about how a bunch of chieftains were hoist by their own petard. Uh, it's, it's a fun story. It is. It's a, you know, it's a good story 
Uh, I really enjoy it. It's, it teaches beautifully, by the way. I actually end my class with Bandamana Saga uh, because it's just great fun to read. Yeah. Uh, and it really kind of sums up a lot of the uh, attitudes of at least the literate class uh, about what happened in those final decades leading up to the capitulation uh, of Iceland to Norway. Uh, so for that reason alone, I have to give it a high rating. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's not a saga in the classic sense, right? It lacks the sweep, the epic styling. It lacks the sense of family dynasties in contention. Um, so I'm not going to go too high. I think – I thought I was going into this. I thought I was going to give it a very high number, and I think I'm actually going to end up at about a 7.5. Interesting. You know that- uh, which feels a little low to me, but is – the best sort of balance I can find between what it is and what it isn't. Mm, interesting. That's a, that's a good way of putting it. It's, a, I think, a full point more than uh, what you gave Henthor, I think, right? I think you mm-hmm. gave it a 6.5. Yep. So that seems reasonable to me. Um, yeah, I think it's pretty clear we both like this one. And in terms of the shorter sagas, it, it's one of the better ones. And I think mm-hmm. the short, the score should reflect that. It's, it's one of the better ones I think we'll find. What it lacks in breadth and depth and feuding fun, it more than makes up for an Ofeg's character. He's kind yeah. of what pulls it all together for me. He's an excellent trickster figure who's always a good representative of Iceland's growing concern with the character and quality of chieftains, like you said. He's and will be un- concerned with uh, representing my thingman from here on out. <laughs> he's he's what I like in uh, a character. He's an underdog. He's a little guy who beats out the big men and the power players of his district by his wits alone. And the help of his son's big purse, of course. <laughs> now, I might not find myself invested emotionally in the characters to the degree that I did with Henthor, where I balanced hatred for Henthor with a deep mm-hmm. affection for the infinitely just Blundkettle, my Jean Valjean. But, <laughs> <laughs> but this story has a bit more going for it in terms of readability, enjoyment, and effectiveness of communicating its moral. It's a fun story with plenty of humor. I like its structuring and its careful pacing, and I really enjoy the great payoff at the end. Mm-hmm. All the threads are also neatly tied up with the final chapter as well. I mean, the auspecting might stand out there a little bit oddly, but it wraps the whole thing up. What happened to that right. outlaw guy? There he is. Right. We get the full end. So I got to give this author credit for pulling the whole thing off. And so I'm giving it an eight. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, those are our judgments, but uh, we want to hear yours. So if you agree with us or disagree with us, uh, you can leave your own judgments in the comments section on our blog. Yeah, it's uh, sagathingpodcast.wordpress.com. And That's please, those of you who are downloading us on iTunes or subscribing to us on iTunes, please remember to leave a comment so that we get some feedback from you guys, and that helps with rankings and things like that. Remember that you can find us on Twitter at SagathingPod and on Facebook at SagathingPodcast to keep up to date with what we're doing and when we're going to be recording our next thing. And if you care to send us an email, you can do that at SagathingPodcast at gmail.com. And that's about it for us. We'll see you next time when we do the Saga of Gunlog Serpent Tongue. Ah, looking forward to it. Bye for now. His little tea, his little tea bag. Um, he is fantastic. Why you insist on using that language? What?